series is called Courageous, and uh, we're a church that's a worshiping community that connects with God's people. We grow, we serve, and we share our faith. But all of that requires a terrific amount of courage. You don't do that willingly. Just to worship the Lord openly, to, uh, to allow the Lord to speak into your life and for you to live out an act of worship to God, that takes some courage. To connect with the people and trust them, that takes courage. You've been stung by people, you know that. To grow in places you've never grown before. Have you ever exercised and found out you had muscles you didn't know about? And then wish you hadn't known about them? I hurt in a place I didn't even know I had, you know? Yeah. I, I, I've told you this before. I, I would exercise. I'd run down a road. We live in the country. I'd run down the road, and I don't know how, I'd hit a yield sign. You ever done that with your head? Those things hurt. They're yellow, but they're still very hard. Yeah come back wounded, you know, I exercise till I wound myself. And you, and you find I, I'm not taking that risk anymore. Yeah. So this is a place that worships and, and connects with God's people. It grows and in places we, it, it takes courage. And then, and then it's a place that serves God's people. And, and over the weekend, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. November is the turkey trot, food and gathering. We're going to do a lot of things to get to serve the community in a great way. But that takes a risk, honestly. And then, of course, it's a place where you share your faith. You not only tell your story, but you learn how to tell your story to people who don't know Christ. That all takes a certain amount of courage. And we want to have the kind of courage to do the right thing and to obey at the very first attempt. Not to obey like the third, fourth, fifth time in, but to obey the very first time and to believe God even when it seems awkward. And that's where we are in our story today. It's the story of Jericho. How many of you have been waiting for Jericho? Oh, yeah, we, this is a great part of the... Every section of Joshua is a great part, but this is one of the favorite stories. But this is a moment, too, that if you didn't believe God, have you, have you noticed uh, kids come up with the best terms? And sometimes they, I'll walk in the kitchen and, and my kids will go, okay, later, we'll talk later. And I'll realize I should shut down the conversation because I walked in. And I go, what's the matter? And they go, awkward. You heard that? Awkward. What's Awkward. I'm the only new thing in the room. I must be it. I must be the awkward. That's the way it is with the faith. If you were marching around a city with a trombone in your hand going, yeah, baby, we're taking you down, that would be awkward, right? Yeah, that's the kind of courage it'll take to believe God at his word, to do what he says he will do and act on it, not just think it in your head, but to actually act on it. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, help us to be courageous people, I pray. Not about the foolish things of this life, not courageous about things that don't really matter, but about the right things and in the right way. May we be out there, awkwardly so, out there, trusting you, following you, obeying you at your word. And we pray this story, which is so familiar, would come on us like fresh, uh, uh, fresh stuff, to us, like a new day, fresh dew, uh, fresh bread, fresh cooked meal, fresh. That's what we need is to hear this story fresh for the first time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know the story. It's Joshua. He's been with Moses. Moses now has died, but you have to back up some more. God chooses a people, the people of God. We call them later Israelites. We call them Hebrews or Jewish people. He gets to pick them, but they go into slavery. That's how Genesis ends, God's people are in slavery in Egypt, North Africa. 
they exit the, the country. That's called the story of the Exodus. But they spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering because they don't obey right away. Now they're ready to go into the promised land. Moses dies. Joshua's the new leader. They cross the, the big river, the Jordan River. It's a miracle in and of itself. And when they get across, now they're about to take the first city, which is Jericho. But before they do, what God wants before he wants a holy land is he wants a holy people. You get this? If you don't get anything else. Before he has you do holy things, he wants you to be a holy person. So he actually takes a pause. We talked about this a week ago uh, in our storyline, that, that God wants to set us apart, do personal examination, so we know that where we stand is holy ground. Now Joshua chapter 6, pick it up at verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho are shut. They're securely barred. I, I love that. They're securely barred, not nonchalantly barred. You ever had that where you're going to bed and you ask your kids, did you lock the door? Yeah, I, I think so, sort of. No, it's either locked or it's not. These doors are securely barred. And why? Because of the Israelites. No one can come in, no one can get out. They've, they've closed up shop on the town. The people of Jericho are scared. They cannot run, so they decide we're going to close it up. And if God can do what God can do with water, and they had heard that story that he had stopped the Jordan River and caused it to overflow upstream, and now it's they're thinking, let's, let's just close up shop. But if he could do that with water, what could he do with stones and, and the wooden doors? He's not, they're going to stop God. It's not going to happen. But that's how foolish we are, thinking we can stop whatever God wants to do just by barring up the doors. And you may be there. You may be saying, I only let God in so far because I don't want him into my stuff. I don't want up in my grill. Well, God can knock your grill down, melt it out, and sell it. I mean, he can just hand it back to you. You know, it just, it, you, he's not scared of your grill. And he goes, it's a pretty good grill. It's $49, I get it on eBay. I can get another grill if I want another grill. He's not afraid of the boundaries you put up. That's what Jericho puts up. So you can't hold God at a distance. Now verse two, Joshua chapter six. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this is the Lord speaking now. This is not Joshua, this is the Lord. See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, He's standing outside Jericho. He's going, see, I've already delivered them into your hands. Got to, got to view it that way. Along with its king and its fighting men. Not just the city, but the king. Oh, yeah, and the fighting guys. March around the city once, the armed men. Do this six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns. Excuse me. All together now. Awkward, right? And this is, okay, we're going to attack them with piccolos and French horns. Yeah. Just trust me on this. It doesn't make sense. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. That's the, that's the symbol of the presence of God. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Have the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. End of verse 5. Stop there. This is the angel of the Lord speaking, which I believe off of last week's message. I think that's Jesus himself in what's called pre-incarnate, before the flesh, before Bethlehem. Jesus was still alive. He just, he just appeared as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. He shows up, he, and Joshua says, you form you against me. He says, I'm not on either side. I represent the Lord. I'm, by the way, I'm the captain of the Lord's army. Whoa. Joshua bows down. He says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. So he does. And the Lord says to Joshua, 
look, we have this city. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go around the city, and um, there's going to be a lineup here. You're going to have front guard, and then, then we're going to have these uh, horn players. Then we're going to have the ark. Then we're going to have a rear guard. Anybody else who wants to be there can be there. The crowd could be there. A million people can follow, but we have a front guard, and then we have the horn blowers, the seven horn blowers. Then we have the guys carrying the ark, which is maybe eight guys. They're not going to attack. Why? Because they're holding on to the ark. Okay? Um, and now we have a rear guard. By the way, the guards had enough to defend themselves, but not enough to take down a city. They had enough to defend themselves in hand-to-hand combat, but they didn't have enough to even break through the windows. They didn't have enough to get into the gates. This wasn't going to happen. I hope you get that. So that he, but before he gets them to this point, he gets them to the point to say, we can do all things. We could do whatever God wants because his, his word is good. He got us across the river. He preserved us for 40 years in the wilderness. He can do this. And so they go around the city, march around. The horns blow, but it's quiet. Other than that, just the horn blowing. Any of you heard a ram's horn before? They are not the most beautiful instruments in the world. Any of you grow up playing a flutophone or a song flute in the band in like fourth, fifth, sixth grade? No one's going to admit to this but me. Yeah. Remember playing those instruments where you're, ah, remember that? Wasn't supposed to do that. That's exactly what a ram's horn does, though. It's like, sorry, fingernails on a chalkboard. If you don't know what a chalkboard is, go home and ask your mother. Uh, but it is, it's an awkward sound, and it doesn't really have a, a, lot, a, a lot of vocal range. But what it does is it announces the presence of the Lord. When you hear the ram's horn, that's what's called for the, the act of worship and for the feast, that's what was used was this out there, okay? That's all they hear. They march around, they come back into camp. The next day, they march around, do it again. Third day, march around, do it again. Fourth day, march around, do it again. They keep doing it for six days. Now, Joshua instructs the people. Look with me at verse six. Joshua son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advanced. And they marched around the city, uh, an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. So he does exactly, get this, he does exactly what God tells him to do. This is important that you get this. Because sometimes we don't do exactly what God says. We do it most of the way. Or we do it out of order. God says, this is the order, this is the way I want it done. And they do it exactly that way. Pick it up now, verse 8. The people will obey. Then Joshua spoke to the people, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of them. The priest blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. They do exactly what they're told to do. Wouldn't it be great if we could just do what God tells us to do? Wouldn't that be great? Nothing mysterious about this. So this, this group has the armed guard go. The horns are playing. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. There's a rear guard. No other noise is happening. They march each day. They circle. Pick it up now at verse, uh, look at verse 12. They got up early the next morning. 
The priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. They kept doing it. Okay? There's a lesson in this, and it's to stay with God even when it doesn't make sense. We're going to come to that in a little bit. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they encircled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests shouted the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in them is to be devoted to the Lord. Um, it's a, a Hebrew word, harem, which means, it means devoted, which means given to the Lord, which means we will not profit from this, which usually means we're going to burn it. That's what it means. This is going to be a smoke burnt offering to the Lord. The city's going to burn. And we are not going to profit from taking over the city. In other words, we are not doing this for economic gain. There's nothing we're going to get out of this except that we're on the winning side. That's what it means to be devoted. Only Rahab the prostitute and all that were with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies, verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking on any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. In other words, don't take anything to yourself. Don't put anything in your pocket. Don't, why would you do that? Because you'd be taking away from what is devoted to the Lord. You'll bring destruction on us if you do that. Verse 19, all the silver and the gold, the articles of bronze, the iron were, were sacred to the Lord, must go into the treasury. In other words, if it doesn't burn, it's going to go into the treasury. Still, no one's going to gain from this. And, and so they go around the city seven times. They blow the horn on the seventh time. I find it, I find this to be an amazing story. Only Rahab and her family survives. And the reason they survive is because they were keeping their word to them that they're going to, um, they're going to protect them. But they have to stay in the house. So they stay in the house in the safe house. It's the only family in the whole city that survives. Can you imagine, just for a moment, stop, end of verse 19. Can you imagine if you were part of, you're either the front guard, you're the rear guard, maybe you're blowing the horn. And you know, I don't know about you, but I watch war movies, you know, you know, Civil War movies. There's always a guy who's blowing the horn, but he, he can't blow a horn and shoot a gun. You ever notice that in the movies? So I'm going, I don't want that job. Why? Because you could get shot and you can't shoot back. Have you ever thought about that? I do, because I want to stay alive, you know? And so I'm thinking, these guys are walking, blowing a horn, going, I wish I had me a spear, you know? But that's all they have is the horn. These guys are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So they're actually carrying a big box on rods. Their arms are busy as well. Then there's a rear guard. Not much guard there. And the Lord tells them, shout unto the Lord. Now, have you ever shouted like, yeah, and then you realize, hey, this really works. And then all of a sudden you have greater confidence. Like, yeah, yeah. And then you ever had this before? You're at a ball game, doesn't really matter what. And then all of a sudden your team really does something good. And then all of a sudden, you're big and nasty. I mean, you're just all out there because our team is the best because you have this confidence. Now, I think that's what happened. They started to shout, and 
the earth started to move and the walls came down and the shout got louder and the confidence built. And I think, here's the takeaway. If you'll obey God, you'd be amazed at the confidence level that would change in your own life as you see him work and you see his faithfulness and you see that he does come through. It's the story of Jericho. So, verse 20. Let's pick it up again. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed it in the sword, with the sword, every living thing in it, men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. They, everything went down. Get back up to verse 20. They, they give a shout. The wall collapses. Some Hebrew uh, manuscripts say the wall comes down on itself. It's, some scholars have, and there have been excavations, and if you read this, you'll find there's a, there have been studies that have been done. They tried to figure out how does a wall, if it's a circle, how can it fall in on itself and kill the people? How could it do what it did? And the fact is it went all the way down. There was, there was nothing left. It went all the way down, and it seemed to go on itself. How that does it, we don't know. But we do know this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the shout, the walls came down, and they were encircled by their enemy. The enemy went through on all 360 degrees of that city and went in and took over the city. And there was victory in, in, in Jericho that day, and everything was devoted, verse 21, to the Lord. Now, they stop at the end of this, and you can just imagine the dust rising from the, these walls falling and, and the streets and the, the houses inside the city all going down, all this destruction. The dust clears, and all that's left, if you could just imagine this, if the whole city goes down, all that's left is one three-story townhouse. You know, that's all that's left. And it's maybe 30 feet tall, but it's not very wide. Maybe only eight or, eight or 10 feet wide. And you're wondering, how does it stand there? And it's one townhouse. You know who owns that, right? That's Rahab's house. That's the only thing that survives. Um, if you were to go to an old-style airport, go back 50 years, there would be these towers in the old day, and that's be, you'd be at the end of the runway, at the front end of the runway, and you wonder, who built that and how to get so high? But that's that's kind of what you see. It's just something that's 50 feet tall, 40 feet tall, no support around it. Now, pick that up now, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had gone to spine went in and brought, Rahab, uh, brought out Rahab, her father, mother, her brothers, sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. So these guys honor their word. Can you imagine these spies kick down the door now and they go inside? It, this is huge what's happening. You can just imagine the families inside scared for their lives, right? I mean, I would be if I looked out the window and saw what was going on. And then you hear a voice you know, and it's one of these two spies. And they're going, Rahab? Rahab, are you, are you, are you in there? 
Can you imagine that? Like, like sticking their head inside a cave with all the dust flying. Rahab, you in there? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'm in here. Okay, you can come out now. It's okay. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she brings the whole family out. And this is God keeping his word to protect her. I could just imagine she just breaks down and sobbing. I don't know, this, it's not biblical. Uh, it's just I'm thinking the emotion of the, of the moment. She probably hugs the spies and says, I'm so glad to see you alive. And they're saying, we're so glad to see you alive. And they hug. And God is glorified. And Israel keeps their word to this family. This is significant. Because you may think... Uh, God won't save me, or God wouldn't be interested in me. You know what? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What matters is if you're willing to turn to the Lord and trust him, just like Rahab did. That's the big issue. So Israel honors their word and keeps this family alive. And then they devote the city to the Lord, verse 24. They burned the whole city and everything in it. Silver, gold, articles of bronze came to the Lord's house. It was part of the treasury. But Joshua, verse 25, spared Rahab the prostitute with her family because she hid the spies. Now, at this time you're saying, why did the whole city have to go down? Well, and didn't they get opportunity to turn to the Lord? They did. They had 40 years. They had heard of the crossing of the Red Sea and didn't turn to the Lord. Then there was the Jordan River. And they were not far from the Jordan River. And they heard the stories. Why would the city be closed up? They knew the stories of the Jordan River, and they didn't turn to the Lord. And if that weren't enough, they had a whole week of God's people circling them. It would be the prime time to step out of the gate, open the gate, and say, you know what, take our city. We believe your God. It would be a great opportunity, and the Lord would have saved them, just like he saved Rahab, if their hearts had changed. This burning of the city is a thorough devotion to the Lord. And the reason the Lord does that is because this is an act of worship. Nothing is for themselves. This is all for the Lord, God of heaven. And the non-burnable things aren't going to go like gold and silver. They're going to go to the treasury to build the, uh, to build the country itself. But no one will profit except God himself in a holy war. And that's exactly what we have here is a holy war. God is taking over, and he is leading the charge. Get this. If you go back, it all makes sense. He is leading the charge, and what's leading the charge? The horns, which announce the presence of the Lord, and then very next, the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Lord showing up. This is not your battle, Joshua. This battle belongs to the Lord. Now, there's two lessons we're learning from this right here. The first lesson is this. In Lessons of the Battle of, uh, of Jericho, we are never too far from God. Get this down. We are never too far from God to be rescued. We are never too far from God to be rescued. And the proof of that is in the story, and it's Rahab. You may be saying, no, no, I have sinned a sin the Lord will never forgive. And really what you're saying is, yeah, I'm the exception I'm telling you, you're not. And if there's ever any question, like this is a woman who ran a hotel, you know, no, in chapter 6, you know what they call her? The prostitute. Okay? So there's no question in their mind who this is. 
Don't think, oh, I am too far from God. But number two, here's the lesson. You, you can never be too far from God, but you can be too late. And I hear this all the time. I hear people say, well, I'll trust the Lord later in life, or I'll follow the Lord later when I'm ready. I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to do all those things. And you know what that is? That's postponement thinking that you control your future. And the reality is you don't, nor do I. I just don't. And the proof of that is the city of Jericho. You always think, later in life, I will turn to the Lord. And if you harden your heart to it now, there is a, almost a 100% chance you're going to harden your heart later. So what are the lessons we're learning? Here are three uh, questions I want to pose to you to think this week. The question that comes to me from the battle of Jericho is this. Number one, will I believe and obey God even when, number one, even when it takes longer than I think it should? Could God have done this in one day? Did it really take seven days? Do we really have to go around it six times and seven times on, on the last day? That's 13 times around. I mean, there's almost a rut around the city by the time we got done, right? He could have done this in one day. But why did he do that? Because the city was closed up and shut up. And after, I think after day one, the city's scared. After day two, they're scared. After day three, they're not so scared. After day four, I think they're starting to get annoyed. And by day five, I think all the fears are now turning to jeers. I think they're hanging out the windows going, hey, when are you guys going to attack with your trombones, dudes? Think you can't break through. Your music stinks. Your marching band's not going to cut it. I think by day five, by day six, they're actually cocky. And what God is teaching you and me is the people of Jericho, and they harden their hearts to this, it's teaching us to persevere, even though hearts don't change. The truth is, we are not on God's timetable, and perhaps God wants to do a work in us, perhaps God wants to do a work through us, and he wants us to commit to be not only faith people, faith-filled people, but faithful people who are committed to persevere even when the odds seem against us. And perhaps God is giving them one last opportunity. After all, they had heard of the crossing of the Jordan. This is their opportune time now every day to repent and turn to the Lord because what is on our mind is revenge and what is on God's heart is repentance. He wants the people of, uh, who are his own to come to him in faith. So when believing God takes longer, God may be up to something. So the question comes, will I believe and will I obey God even when it's not on my timetable? Question number two. Will I believe and obey God even when it doesn't appear to make sense? Even when it doesn't appear to make sense. After all, you have guards, priests, blown horns, Ark of the Covenant. This makes no sense. This is not an attack group here. These guys are not going to tear down the walls. Not with their little bows and arrows. It's just not going to happen. We don't have the right equipment. We barely have enough to defend ourselves. None of this makes sense to us. And by the way, we don't have much to begin with, and we're putting our best instruments at the front of the line to get beat up, and then we have the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to steal it. They're going to take it away from us. What are we thinking here? We're putting our best stuff up at the front. Why are we doing this? This makes no sense. And by the way, when a, when a group attacks, blowing the horn, 
it kind of ruins the element of surprise, doesn't it? Yeah. So none of this attack model seems to make sense, but perhaps God is leading with those very elements to say the one who's going to win the battle is not the people of Israel, it is God himself, and as evidenced in what you hear, the horns, and what you see in the ark. Don't ever think that it's the great people of Israel, it's the people of God, the, the Jewish people. Don't think ever that they could knock the walls down. They didn't. They did it with musical instruments. It had to be God. So then only God could get the glory for this. The battle really is the Lord's. The ark allows them to see. The horns allow them to hear. This is really the, bad's, the, the Lord's battle, not ours. So will I believe and obey when it seems to take longer? I hope you do. Will I believe and obey God even when it doesn't appear to make sense? I hope you will. But thirdly, and this is the one where Americans really get caught up, will I believe God, will I obey God even when it's not the outcome I want? Get this. We are in a society that evaluates everything, don't we? We evaluate everything. We evaluate the evaluations. Do we not? Yeah. Yeah. And I can just imagine, well, yeah, sure, the wall dropped and the city caved in and we took over and we burned the city and, yeah, we took the city. But personally, if I had done it, I would have done it differently. I would have come at night. I would have attacked from the south. Yeah, you would have, and it wouldn't have worked. Oh, yeah, but I would have done it differently, as if you had a better plan. Or you would have said, I'll show them who's boss. And do you know what the reality is? God did show them who was boss. How would you like to be from Jericho and say, yeah, our team got beat by some horn players? That that makes no sense. If it's not the outcome that you want, what is the outcome that you wanted? God got to show them who's boss and that he is. He won the battle. Others would say, well, yeah, he won the battle, but he kept Rahab. I wouldn't have done that. That's the evaluation. I would have killed her too along with the rest. After all, she's a prostitute. She deserved to die. As if your sin is somehow better than her sin. Okay, by the way, Christians are notorious for that. We yell at people over sins we don't, you know, that aren't particular to us, so we make them horrible sins, but our sins are, are okay. They're, they're a little less of a sin. No, it's all sin. And to think that we're somehow better than Rahab shows you just how blindly we really are looking at the situation. You have revenge in your mind, remember that, and God has repentance, not just in his mind, but in his heart. So he keeps Rahab and her family, not because she's a great woman, but because she's a woman of faith, because she believed the God who was taking over the city, and she sided on the right side. She made the right decisions. So don't, don't think, oh, I can judge people by the sins that aren't particular to me. Sometimes, too, I find people will judge people by the very sins of their own. But if they can shoot first about the sin, they can get the person down before they get accused themselves. So always be careful when someone's out, you know, just poking at people. And you may have that person in your office. They may be protecting their own territory of sin, their own little kingdom, their own little walled-up area, if you will. My word to you is this. Be hard on yourself and be gracious with others. And what you'll find is the God in heaven will be gracious with you. If it's not the outcome you want, 
because you had another outcome in mind, ask yourself, where is my outcome different from God's? Because his wisdom is infinitely greater than mine. So where am I off? Rather than trying to change God in this, you change, I change, we change. Another one of the objections is God gave them too much time. You know, he gave them all this time and going around the city. And you know what the issue is there? Perhaps God wanted to give them one more chance and God wanted to build in us a spirit of perseverance. Some would say this too. This is a popular one today. God's way too judgmental. He should have saved the city. It's ecologically solvent. I mean, just don't tear that up. We'll just have to build another city and, you know, that's going to knock more ozone away and cost man hours and all that. And you know what the Lord says? I, I created all that. And I want this to be devoted. In fact, he said, anybody who builds on this foundation will be cursed. In other words, we're making this city the example of all the cities. Again, remember, this is an act of war, not on the part of the Jews. This is an act of war on the part of God. This is a holy war. So, here's the greater question. It goes back to the top line. Second line. Will I believe and obey God even when... And then you fill in the blank. Anything. Will I believe and will I obey God? Here's the, here's the critical piece. This is where I'll close. You, you may be at the point where you're saying, you know what? I decided I was going to trust Christ. I was going to do it after I lived my life and did my own thing. And you don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. Jericho's evidence of that. Some would say, no, I, I just really want to do my thing. I want to sin the way I want to sin. And Rahab is evidence to you. There is no sin too far that God won't rescue you. So this is your day of salvation. If I were to zoom this a thousand years ahead, there would come later a Savior. His name is Jesus. That angel of the Lord would come in Bethlehem, and he would come to save the people from their sins. And today is your day to trust him, if you will. But if you don't, here's the warning that Jericho serves. There's a chance you'll be like Jericho, and you'll harden and you'll close up and if you feel that closing up, just know, I'm no different than Jericho, closing up my heart, closing up the walls, the doors, the windows of my life so God can't get in. And if that's happening, you need to open the doors quickly, quickly, quickly. It serves, too, as a reminder to all of us who are believers, followers in Jesus Christ, that we cannot harden our hearts or think we could do our own thing. The Lord will call us into accountability. So we want to live holy lives. This is a holy war. And we want to head to heaven as holy people. And may we be the people who are those people. Amen? Amen. Let's bow for prayer. This may be the day you trust Christ and you invite him into your life. You realize, you know, this is making sense from Old Testament to New. I need Christ as my Savior. And so, Father in heaven, for those who are opening their lives right now to trust Christ, I pray, Lord, that would be uh, uh, the decision that would be firm in their hearts as they say to you, dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve heaven, but I want Christ to be my Savior. I run to the refuge, to the safe place of Christ. I trust him and embrace him in faith. And for many of us in the room, Lord, 
we run to you again to the place not just of safety but of holiness. For we want to follow you fully, we pray. Thank you for your word. Seal it to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.